0: It's, uh, it's, uh, it's already on. Uh, this is going to be another unedited, uned, uned, unedited episode. Uh, because it's my birthday and I'm all alone in quarantine. Uh, Don't worry, I'm going to do like a Zoom thing with some friends tomorrow. Um, but I, I, I always make an episode on my birthday. Uh, just sort of talking about the year I just had. Because I don't do resolutions and stuff on New Year's, I do them on my birthday. So anyway, I've got a few that I'm going to talk about, but mostly I'm going to talk about how last year's resolutions went. Actually, we'll do that. We'll talk about last year's resolutions. Anyway, here we go. Oh, let's let's start the show. <coughs>
1: A show for you I've no idea what I'll do welcome my friends to this artsy tableau have I got a show for you wanna do a good show, you gotta have class. You gotta have smarts and you've gotta think fast. You give them the good stuff, the taste of the past. And if you wanna push the envelope, you give them some sass. But I got a show for you. I've no idea what I'm doing. Welcome, my friends, to this charming tabaloo. Have I got a show? I think it's a
0: show. If it's a show, well, it's for you. And you. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you. All of you. Oh my goodness. Uh, Welcome to Strangely and Friends, the podcast, everyone. My name is Strangely. This is the podcast. And if you're listening, that makes you one of the friends. Uh, The accordion that I am playing today was given to me by, I mentioned in the last episode that a very dear friend of mine passed away this year. And uh, it was my friend Della, who was an an amazing performance artist and clown and just an all-around awesome human. And she left me her accordion in her will. And the only instructions were that I make sure I play it a bunch or that I get it into the hands of someone else who will play it a bunch. So I thought I would play it uh, t- for today's episode. And uh, yeah, it's it's working out pretty well so far. It's it's going to need a, a little bit of some, some sort of deep accordion work. Some of the buttons don't work, but I'm sort of playing around it. So I hope it's, it doesn't sound too bad for you folks out there in podcast land. I am, I'm so excited. It, it is literally my birthday today as I'm recording this right now. And, uh, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to talk about my, uh, resolutions for last year. And then I have the list of all the books that I've read this year, and I'm just going to read through the list in order and say a little something about each book and, you know, um, if that's, if that's not your jam, you can, you can go ahead and give this episode a miss, but I think it's going to take a while because I have read uh, a lot of books this year. Uh, I've actually read over 120 books. That's, that's a lot of books. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, let's start the show. Uh... <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is another one of the sort of off the cuff ones, but uh, I have a I have a, I do have one of my classic segments prepared for today, and uh, yeah, so let's let's start. I hope I hope all of you have had a, I, I don't want to say a good year, but because wow, twenty twenty. But at the same time, like I think many of my friends have had things to celebrate, and that's what i'm feeling like today. i mean, yeah, it's my birthday. but the idea that uh i just want to focus on the stuff to celebrate. i i i got kind of dark in the last episode and that's not my intention here. i i honestly just feel this like overwhelming sense of possibility and hope for the future and i'm hoping that <laughs> i have hope and i'm hoping that i'm hoping that all of you listening to this will maybe get a little bit of that hope from me talking. Uh, I ran into a friend today uh, while I was out for my run and she said that she listens to this podcast and, you know, it's it's sort of something that she she feels connected to me through. And, you know, that's, that's the hope is that even though this is sort of a one-way thing where I'm speaking out of the podcast and you're listening in your earbuds or over your car stereo or, uh, you know, sort of that little Bluetooth speaker that you keep by your desk, Tina. Um. <laughs> hi, Tina. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I. you know, however you're listening to this, I, I hope that it does help you feel connected to me a little bit. And, you know, if you if you ever feel the need, reach out. I. I love to I love to hear from folks who are connecting with the things that I'm making. So without further ado, let's move on to our first segment, which I usually call. Resolution update. So on my birthday last year, I announced uh, six New Year's resolutions and I didn't do so great on them, but I want to share them with you because, you know, some th- some interesting things happened along the way and it's sort of, it's, it's made me recalibrate my upcoming New Year's resolutions. But also some of the things that were last year's new New Year's resolutions are going to end up on this year's list. So anyway, let's uh, let's get to that list. Number one at the top with a bullet uh, was read Moby Dick. I did not complete reading Moby Dick this year. I read half of it and uh, I'm still working on it. And so that's the thing. You know, I I, have read uh, half of Moby Dick, which is half of Moby Dick more than I have ever read before. And I love it. It's a great book. Uh, It just sort of got buried in the workload of of school and and I moved into a new place and, you know, just a lot of things going on. But it's 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 on my list. It's in the stack, as they say in in bibliophile world. So it's coming up. Uh, Number two. With a close (laughs) parenthesis. Uh, was learn to understand my carbon footprint. And. I mean, I I haven't really done any work on this, I kind of had this dream that, like, I would look into it and actually start eating more carbon neutrally and sort of understanding the foods that I eat. But I just I haven't gotten around to this. So again, it's another thing that I failed at, but that's okay because I'm aware of it. And, you know, I can I can work on it. I did give my car away so I don't have a car. I, anywhere I need to go, I either ride my bike or run. Uh, so that, that's a thing that wasn't part of my resolutions, but I have run uh, an average of 60 miles a week this year. So I don't know what 52 times 60, I guess I could do it. I, I'm going to do the maths right now. So 52 times 60, I should be able to do it in my head. That, so I've run f- like 3,120 miles this year. It's over 3,000 miles this year. So you know that's that's got to be some carbon offset, right? But then again, I don't know. I'm I, I was talking to a friend who knows a uh, a carbon emissions specialist. So I'm gonna try to in the new year get that person on the show and sort of like actually dig into this. But that's for the future. So for now, that's another one I didn't do. Uh, this is I'm not I'm not doing well here. Number three was take some finish lessons. So, uh, I, I was sort of studying Finnish with this little app, but it it never really clicked. Um, that being said, now that I'm looking at going to grad school, I'm thinking about taking Finnish classes because if I go to grad school as a historian, I have to study a a non-English language for at least two years, uh, and get like basic proficiency, and since some of the grad school work I want to do is going to be in history, I figure I could take Finnish lessons there. Um, I mean, I did learn, like, bus. The word for bus is bussi. And, um, you know, uh, I learned a few words. So, you know, kietos. Thank you. Anyway, uh, number four. Quit streaming stuff. Wow. <laughs> what a <laughs> bad year to decide to quit watching streaming content. Uh totally failed at that one you know uh, if you were you've been following this podcast this year you know that I uh, didn't do so well at that but uh, you know I think I'm going to try again I I don't have super reliable internet here in my house Uh, so yeah we'll see it's it's the cool thing about making a resolution and then failing is you can kind of look back on why you failed and sort of decide if you really want to do that thing or not. You know, a a friend of mine read this book about how to quit smoking years ago, and I I never read the book, but the book essentially was like, by like page 10, it was like, you have sat and read for at least 15 minutes, which means you're willing to give at least 15 minutes of your time to quitting, which means you actually do want to quit. So you've basically already quit. And that's kind of how I feel about like, you know, just admitting that I failed trying to do something kind of acknowledges that there was a desire. And then I can sort of look at, well, why did I fail? Did I, why did I procrastinate or not? Uh, you know, I saw something online and it was like, have two projects you really care about that way you can procrastinate on each one by working on the other one. And genuinely, that is something that I pulled off this year. I, I actually did that con on myself And uh, I'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, The fifth resolution I made of the six that I also failed at was I said, I want to make at least 36 episodes of this podcast this year. I don't know how many I've made counting this one off the top of my head, but it's got to be something like 14 or 15. I, again, really (laughs) failed at that one. But, you know, it's it's a number. I made a non-zero number of episodes of this podcast and... You folks have stuck with me. I, I haven't lost like patrons on Patreon and it seems like people are still interested in hearing episodes of this. So, you know, if, if you're out there listening, thank you. And, you know, in the new year, I am planning on getting back to sort of more structured, scripted episodes, but it's it's been a weird fall of an already weird year. And it was really, really, really busy for me academically which again, I, I keep saying, I'll talk about that in a minute. I guess on the last episode, I read some of my research on Samuel Pepys. Uh, but yeah, I I guess I'll tell you right now. I, over this past uh, three months, I've produced almost 60 pages of researched, footnoted, um, like peer reviewable. So it's like, I, uh, I've produced these like two large academic papers. And both of my professors think I should I should work on getting them published. Like there'll be a lot of rewrites and a lot of sort of finessing of my material. But both of my professors were like, you have noticed something in these two fields of historical research that more writing should happen about, which is like really exciting. Like, I don't mean to, to toot my own horn. It's not a very big horn, but like. It is. it is it's nice you know so much of what i do is in the the artistic side of things and like you don't you know there's not like a there's often a very intangible measures of success for sort of being a, a accordion playing wacko and to have someone who's like really really good at a very specific thing be like you are also good at this specific thing it's it makes me feel good it, 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 in spite of the fact that I have completely failed at five out of six of my New Year's resolutions. So what was I doing with all of my time? Well, <laughs> back in June, I said... Uh, on resolution number six, read 52 books. So that's one a week. Back in June, I said, at the time of this writing, I have completed 52 books. We can cross that off the list. Maybe I can make it to 104? I'll keep you posted. So, what was I doing with the rest of my time? I was reading <laughs> books. How many books you'd like to know? This year, I have read 121 books. 121 books. <laughs> That's that's a lot of books. Uh, so the bulk of this episode, I'm gonna read you the list, and I'll sort of give you like a little thought or blurb or whatever about each book. I don't know if that will be interesting to folks. Um, it's it, it. I was kind of like, was this bragging? But then I looked at the list. and I'm like, a lot of these are like trash doorstop fantasy nonsense. Uh, so you know, maybe maybe the sort of recommended. And and at the end of this list, I. I have a, a book reading challenge for all of you. So, uh, cause, cause not everybody has like the unreasonably <laughs> lot of time that I seem to have for reading. Um, so anyway, yeah, let's, let's, let's get to the list. So here we go. So when I keep track of the books I read, all I do so far is I put them on a list this this document this google document and i just put them on there in the order of when i finished reading them so there's no um there's sort of no uh there's no rhyme or reason or organization it's just sort of on here as as a list so anyway without further ado here is the list of every book i read this year number one it came from something awful by Dale Buran. Uh, This is a book about how 4chan internet trolls influenced the 2016 election, but it's also just sort of the history of 4chan, which is a website I recommend none of you ever go to. But it's a really fascinating sort of bit of internet cultural anthropology. And uh, it was great. It was super fun. Into the Woods by Tana French. This was a... Irish mystery cop procedural and it was fine. I didn't really care for it. Uh, Number three, Cryptonomicon by Neil Stephenson. This book is so big you could kill a burglar with it. It is the story of cryptography being invented and how cool cryptography is. And my friend uh, refers to Neil Stephenson as the king of the neckbeards and that's not a diss on Neil Stevenson because he's amazing. Neil Stevenson is also, like, he's he's the kind of person who does so much research about a novel, and then it's like I must put all of this in the novel. And you know, your mileage may vary. But the the way I always explain Neil Stevenson to people is I say, look, if you're if you're reading a Neil Stevenson novel and he's got a spaceship and it's about to have uh, uh, something go wrong and the thing that goes wrong is because plastic gets too hot and melts neil stevenson's going to give you three pages on the history and and melting point temperature of plastic so that when things melt you're like oh that (laughs) so you know it's it's all right uh let's see next is cerberus volume one by Dave Sim. Cerberus is a comic book that started out life as what if Conan the Barbarian was a cartoon aardvark and everything else in his world was the same. D- Dave Sim wrote and illustrated all 300 and change issues of Cerberus over like a 30 year period. And it is a deeply idiosyncratic uh, like creative work by one sole creator. So it's it's really fascinating to Sort of get this peek into one person's brain I, it's something i want to write about more for this podcast in the future is this idea that it's so hard to sort of get works like this because so many things that we see in the world now are deeply collaborative you know even when people talk about auteur cinema there's still somebody sewing the clothing together you know it's, it's true auteur cinema is kind of impossible because you need to have other people involved on some level and so when you do get a work of art that is made by one person uh it's it's pretty incredible and D- dave sim did have uh some assistance and stuff making cerberus but it's very much his vision uh there's a character that appears in the first volume of cerberus who he's this like blonde man with a big beard but he has a very particular bone structure and and then over the course of three volumes, so we're talking like 50 issues of this comic, uh, he ends up losing his beard, getting a mustache, and then having to dye his hair and mustache black. And you realize that the character has been drawn from the beginning to look like Groucho Marx. And it's not until a very, very... And again, this is a cone in the barbarian world, but it's not until a very like ridiculous series of things happen that this character start actually looks like Groucho Marx and gets a cigar in the baggy pants. And then there's a whole riff on duck soup, the Marx Brothers film. And it's just like, it's the kind of nonsense that I think is very, very unlikely to appear in something with more editorial oversight, I guess you could say, uh, because Dave Sim even self-published all the the books, uh, so yeah, it, it's deeply weird and rather uncomfortable at places because it's a Conan the Barbarian type thing from the seventies and eighties, primarily up to the early aughts. But uh, it's still it's super weird, and I like it. Uh, next book: Football Jews and the Making of Argentina by Ronan Rain. R- Ronan Rain. I I'm I, I'm gonna say some of these wrong uh I took a so part of my history major that I've been working on for the past uh year and change is I want to study how popular culture influences religious belief and vice versa and so I took a lot of courses that uh sort of studied popular culture from different angles so sort of like you know uh, so I took a, a course on the history of uh sort of uh, uh, football, (laughs) soccer in Latin America, and just saw how it sort of influenced politics and vice versa. So it kind of gave me this window into an area of human experience that I'd never learned anything about. Uh, It's great. This book was great. Uh, As the title suggests, uh, football played a big part in the history of Argentina, as did Jewish people. And there's one particular Club football club called um, the river plot. And their whole thing is that they're from a Jewish neighborhood and they're a Jewish team and they have this like very strong Jewish identity. And uh, yeah, it's really, really great. It's if you just want a book about like a very particular slice of another culture, this is probably one of the most readable uh, like academic books I've, I've read in a long time. Next book is bone dance. This was in my top 5 this year for sure. This is this is a weird sci-fi book by Emma Bull. Uh, Bone Dance by Emma Bull. I forgot to say her name. Uh it's sort of a combination of post-apocalyptic like like picture picture Tank Girl meets Oh man. I, uh like, Tank Girl meets Buffy, but, like, that's underselling it. It's it's just a really great book, and the, the author pulls off an amazing hat trick. Like, the author totally pulled the rug out from under me halfway through, and I didn't see it coming, and I loved it. Uh, this is on my list of things to reread this coming year. So, Bone Dance by Emma Bull. Check it out. She's a, she's a wonderful author. The Invisible Man by H.G. Wells. Uh, this book was great. Oh my gosh so much fun the invisible man um it's sort of like the the og uh (laughs) it's it's sort of an og techno thriller uh a guy figures out how to make himself invisible and then he acts like a dick and then uh yeah he gets in trouble for it if you haven't read any hg wells like do it uh it's his stuff is super fun and He's writing techno thrillers in the, the 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 second half of the 1800s. And it, it's like he's obsessed with what he thinks his age's technology is capable of. Uh, I also read The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells, which is about Martians invading. And then they all catch Colts Spoiler. Spoilers. Sorry. Uh, next book, Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. I've never read that uh, until this year. And... It was so funny like I had no idea how funny the book is and you know I, I know that there are, there is always some sort of mixed feelings that people have around some of the language that Twain uses, including um there's a lot of usages of the n-word but I'm I personally and and again i I can't make this comment on behalf of any person of color or anything and I don't ever want to be perceived as lecturing a person of color on their experience, but, my understanding and I'm totally willing to be contradicted in this, but my understanding of the book is that, um, it's actually as an artifact of its time, it's actually quite progressive because the character of Jim, uh, the, the, uh, the black man who goes on the run with Huck, uh, was he, he seems like he's going to be a very stock sort of, um, African-American character in the sense that a lot of adventure novels of the time were writing sort of these like, you know, um, subservient sort of simpletons who would go along on the adventure. And as the book progresses, I, and this was my experience reading it as well. I, I could just, I, there's so much soul in Jim. And I mean, I get the sense that Mark Twain was like, this is a person and it's a shockingly low bar to have to clear back in the 1800s, but I I enjoyed it a lot. There's a there's a really great scene toward the end of the book where Jim is just like, Huck, sit down. Uh, it also has the best mangling of a Shakespeare quote ever committed to print. So yeah, uh, Huckleberry Finn. Uh, okay, <clears throat> moving on. Letters from a Stoic by Seneca. Seneca is an ancient Roman stoic philosopher, and he wrote a collection of letters to a young friend of his named Lucilius. Could have been his lover, could have been a student, could have been both. And they contain Seneca's thoughts on just about everything from food fads to clothing fads to exercise to war to how to process a friend's death. And... I can't really say I want to be a stoic, but they're really funny. Uh, He really hated food fads. You know, there's so many things. And this is something that as a historian, I want to write more about, you know, there's so many things that we look at the past and we go, it was such a simpler time, such a whatever. And half of his essays are like the modern world is too busy and there's too much stimulation and people need to go sit in the field more. And it's like it's the same stuff we're arguing about today. And, you know, I, I just think that's really fun. Uh next book. Survival in Auschwitz by Primo Levi. This was hands down one of the most poetic and beautiful books I've read this year. Uh it's, you know, very difficult subject matter, but Levi was a chemical engineer at a chemical plant before he ended up in Auschwitz, and my reading of it, anyway, is that he was sort of able to turn off of his feeling brain and just allow his analytical mind to process what was happening to him and sort of compartmentalize his experience so that when he came through it, he was able to write about it. And, and he was able to write about really beautiful things. I I read a, a, a memoir last year by uh, Eugenia Ginsburg, and she was in the Soviet gulags. And it's a very similar kind of thing where it's like, both of these authors went through horrendous experiences and yet could look back at it and describe in detail a beautiful thing that happened during that time, you know, the, the, the texture of snowfall or the sound of wind through a particular tree, the leaves on a particular tree. And, you know, I, I think especially in a time when the last survivors of that age are passing away, remembering books like this are it's important and yeah i'm really really glad i read it i would read it again it it's also very funny at parts like he he really has that that same uh he has that italian style of humor that if you've ever read any italo Ital- Ital- italo calvino uh he very similar style of humor and same translator so if you like italo calvino i i recommend checking out survival in auschwitz the aeneid by virgil is my next book and whew, I love Virgil. Uh, I'm a big fan, big fan. Uh, Virgil wrote essentially he wrote uh, fan fiction uh, of the Odyssey and Iliad. He, he took a a like a, a sort of a, a villain sort of he took a character the, the character Aeneas from the the Iliad and Aeneas is one of the Trojans. And the 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 Greek heroes uh, Ajax and, and Hector and whoever basically kick the shit out of him, and he's 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 like he's a sad sack in in uh, in <laughs> in the Iliad, and then Virgil takes him and gives him this whole story, and Aeneas basically goes on this madcap adventure across the mediterranean and hits a lot of the stops that odysseus went to during the odyssey and eventually ends up founding the city of rome and it's great i i know it's about 2000 years old but i don't really want to spoil the ending for you because i did not see it coming also it has like okay you know how there's that trope that like there's a movie with like it's all like manly men and they're all like barrel chested and beardy and they're like blah, 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 and they're like fighting and stuff, and then there's like the one super badass woman who comes in and like out badasses all of them. Uh think Eowyn in um Lord of the Rings. So uh Virgil has a woman like that in Aeneid, and my god, when she shows up, you're just like, holy shit, she's amazing, uh, super great. There's also some hella gay stuff in it. So check it out. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, Oxford world's classics has a very readable translation that preserves even some of the, uh, some of Virgil's, uh, alliterations and puns and stuff. So definitely check it out. Civil war by Lucan. Also called Pharsalia. If you want to get really academic about it. Uh, this was, was another ancient Roman epic that I read. It, Lucan was a fan of Virgil so he's sort of doing like another uh, version of this and it's about the Roman Civil War so you got Caesar and Pompey and you know Cleopatra shows up and she's like all you know sexy exotic and it's, it's eh. but uh, uh, Seneca's one of uh, n- not Seneca but another Stoic uh, named Cato who was a, I can't remember if he was before or after Seneca, but he was another big, Sto- he's sort of the father of Stoicism. He appears in it and he gets to like be this like voice of reason. And he's such a voice of reason that like he almost becomes a god in it. It's pretty cool. Another one of my top fives is the next book, The Cheese and the Worms by Carlo Ginsburg. Uh This is like, whew, I could talk about this book for hours. So I'm just going to say there's an audiobook of it on Audible. You can get it from Amazon. The Cheese and the Worms by Carlo Ginzburg. A man named Minocchio in Italy, like a thousand years ago or something like that, essentially came up with his whole own cosmology out of like, no one really knows where this, like, this guy's ideas came from. And normally we wouldn't hear about a an, sort of an ordinary-ish person from that long ago. But for for a variety of reasons, this guy was literate and he wrote down all of his theology because he was trying to convince the Inquisition not to execute him for being such a, a nutter. And his theology is, well, it's called the cheese and the worms because th- you know they thought that spontaneous generation was the thing where if you left cheese out, worms would appear in it because they didn't think that flies were laying eggs. They just thought moldy cheese made worms happen. And this guy basically came up with this whole th- cosmology that that God and the angels were worms that appeared on the cheese of the universe. And then they created us like it's, it's bananas. I don't I mean, we're talking like, you know, the Jack Kirby, you know, New Gods, like DC Comics dude of like a thousand years ago. It was so much fun. My next book is called Football. Why Soccer Matters in Latin America by Joshua H. Nadell. This was another book about uh, soccer that I read, and uh, it was much more focused on the political interaction. So there's a lot of stuff about some of the unrest in South America in the 20th century. There's a whole chapter on uh, Perón in Argentina, and I definitely like the musical a lot less after reading it. I'll just, I'll leave it at that. I don't want to really get into it, but great book. Uh, Evita Baron, a girl from Argentina. Next book Gender, Sexuality, and Power in Latin America Since Independence by French and Bliss. I ended up writing this paper about how, you know, it's, it's such an old saw in terms of academic writing or whatever, but. I'm sure many of you listening to this podcast have heard of Judith Butler's statement that gender is performative. So not not your biological sex, but your your outward expression of gender is a performance. You know, you decide what you're going to wear if you're, you know, a more masculine person, maybe decide to grow a beard or not, that sort of thing. And I wrote a academic research paper this past spring about how the ways in which the, the soccer field, the football field, is a performative arena for gender. And so that was a book that I read for that. One of my favorite things I read about was, uh, one of the essays in the book is about dueling in South America. And, y- you know, you think of like Alexander Hamilton and uh, Aaron Burr, sir, and their duel. And 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 th- like nothing compared to some of the like insane dueling stuff that was happening in Latin America. Uh, cuz people just like like dudes were like just stabbing each other like it's wild it's so wild because they they, they did the, like yeah it's nuts dueling it's a, it was a thing uh next book the country of football soccer and the making of modern brazil this is more soccer stuff and it was all sort of background for that big paper i was writing <clears throat> uh next book the Island of Doctor Moreau by H G Wells another techno thriller by uh hold H G and uh this was probably the most lurid of his books that I read it's it's very like I was surprised by the amount of body horror that was in a book from over 100 years ago you know there's something that happens often when you read a book separated by time. It's like the metaphors don't quite track. You know, I mentioned reading Aeneid by Virgil and in Aeneid there's a death scene where these two young men die and all of the, like, the their wounds and the blood and everything coming out of them is described in these this beautiful flowery imagery like flowers and it, it doesn't really come across as horrific. It's, like, very beautiful. Sort of like... Th- some of the stuff Zack Snyder will do with violence where it's sort of, it's like, it's beautifying it. And I'm I'm, uh, I'm not saying it's good, but it's, but sometimes like things are so separated from you over time that the, the emotional impact or like the grossness doesn't translate to our modern ears. You know, there's that line in the, the Iliad where, where Achilles has gone mad and he's, he killed all, he's like killed all the sheep and he's, he's covered in blood and it's like, it should be gross to, you know, it's like, it's it's really messed up. But it just, it's just kind of like, Wow. Well, because I, I think most modern readers don't know what it's like to be covered in sheep blood. That's a story about my life for another time. Uh, <laughs> the Thibayad by Statius is the next book. This, this book has, oh man, it's got it all. So the Thibayad is a civil war around... Uh, Thebes. So you're familiar with the story of Oedipus, right? You know, Oedipus he comes home, he kills his dad, he bones his mom. It's kind of gross. Well, Thebaid is this epic poem about Odysseus's sin, right? The whole m- 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 incest thing coming, like the, the wages of his sin arrives. So It's all the fallout and it's, like, what happens to his city because he's committed this sin. Because it's not just him who's punished, you know. It's, like, his descendants and everything just gets super Game of Thrones. And it's essentially, if you combined Game of Thrones with, like, some big cosmic, like, there's a scene where Zeus where there's a guy who's an atheist and he's literally looking at Zeus and Zeus is like bow and the guy's like no I don't believe in the gods and he's saying this right to Zeus's face and like Zeus hits him with a thunderbolt and the guy goes is that the best you can do hit me again it's amazing oh it's so great uh another one of my top 5 for the year, The Rise of the Indian Rope Trick by Peter Lamont. Peter Lamont is a professor at the University of Edinburgh. He's a special specialist in magio history. He's also a magician and a psychologist and he wrote an entire book about one trick. I've mentioned it before on this podcast, but the Indian Rope Trick never actually existed. It was made up by a newspaper writer in Chicago who needed to fill two column inches and Peter Lamont has the whole story. Book number twenty-one. We're only on twenty-one. Oh, fiddlesticks! I might, I might cut this in half. Anyway, we'll, we'll keep going. We'll see. We'll see how my voice holds out. The Bear and the Nightingale by Catherine Arden. This is a beautiful book. It is about a young woman who grows up in a distant settlement in sort of a fantasy version of uh, uh, like Renaissance era Russia. I guess and uh, oh no my refrigerator turned on I'm gonna unplug it I'm getting up and unplugging it I'm I'm over here I'm unplugging the fridge hang on it's gonna be okay it's gonna be okay I don't know why I'm saying it's gonna be okay all I'm doing is unplugging the fridge okay yeah so she's like sort of renaissance era Russia and oh it's a gorgeous book and and there's there's all these like russian mythical creatures like Rosalkas and domovoys if if you like the witcher books uh similar critters devices and desires by pd james pd james is a mystery writer who also wrote for some reason children of men which the clive owen uh is it? who else is in that it's clive owen and Somebody else, My Cocaine is in it. I love that you can say My Cocaine and you're saying Michael Caine's name in his accent, My Cocaine. Uh, anyway, but P.D. James is this mystery writer and I've never read one of her mysteries. And I had, you know, you know I was sort of on this kick with uh, having seen the Knives uh, Out last fall. And so I was like, wow, well, I got it, I'll check it out. So I grabbed a mystery. It's about a bunch of people doing murders around a nuclear power plant. And the there's just a lot of murders and then they keep doing more murders and then they get stopped. It's it's the the book is best. There's there's like three sections that get really poetic where it's the the lead character's like looking at the sea and thinking about sort of his life and stuff, and those sections are beautiful. I didn't really like the rest of it. I really did like all of the next book. Nick the Greek, King of Gamblers by Cy Rice. The title is self-explanatory. It's about Nick the Greek. If you've ever wanted to learn about Nick the Greek, uh, ask me about him sometime. I know a lot. I could tell you some stories. He was arguably one of the most successful gamblers of all time. We're talking like probably he probably won in the billions and lost it. You know, money flowed through him, but it was always flowing. Uh, the Toyn Bukulinja, uh, by Anonymous. This is an epic Irish poem. And, uh, it's be- I've been telling people whenever I talk about it to people, I, I say it's Irish Hercules. I mean, you got dudes like throwing cows at each other. And then, uh, there's a guy, a guy like, there's again. This is very. It was very homoerotic. But like, there's a lot of like. Everyone's name in this book has it. Like you, you. It's like spoilers, if you spoke the original Gaelic. Because there's one guy and his name is like Spear Ass, and then he dies when someone stabs him in the ass with a spear. Like. <laughs> uh and my my favorite uh uh character in the book is uh the 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 lead the lead character Kushalane. Uh, his uh his foster father is named matt Kumail, and that name matt Kumail, literally translates to like powerful horse jizz can i say jizz on this podcast oh well like horse semen the the emissions of a horse that's the guy's name and everyone's like he's a very potent man And yeah, it's, you know, again, the idea that we look at the past and we're like, well, you know, everybody was so classy. It really, the more really old, historically important books I read, the more I realize that human beings have always been nasty little, nasty little nasties. Speaking of which, The next book on the list, *Vita Nuova by Dante Alighieri. This is such a weird book because it's a combination of ruminations on love, but also telling his own story of falling in love with a woman who may or may not be real. So it's sort of autobiographical by Dante, but... He's developing concepts and ideas and even a character who ends up becoming the character Beatrice. That's the woman he falls in love with. She becomes an important character in his later Divine Comedia, Uh, which speaking of which, that's the next book on the list. And I'm going to do all three of these together. So there's Divine Comedy Inferno, Divine Comedy Purgatorio and Divine Comedy Paradiso, all by Dante Alighieri. And wow. I'll just say this. Reading these three books, The Divine Comedy, it made me lose respect for almost every other fantasy writer in the last thousand years because they're all stealing from Dante. Everything. So many things that are just like basic tropes of fantasy. Like... At the edge of the field was a tower, taller than any tower you've ever seen, and there was an army of a million marching toward it, and then a great beam of power shot down from the sky and exploded the dragon's tail, and it died. Like, Dante. They're all just cribbing from Dante. Looking at you, Neil Gaiman. This is great. If you can find a readable, you, you got to get a readable, more modern translation to really get this. And uh, it's super great. I was so happy to read that, read through that this year. Next book, Ad- Adumnan's Life of St. Columba. Uh, Adumnan? Let's say Adamnan. This is a biography of an Irish saint. And it's really interesting because the whole book is trying to show that he is more powerful than all the local Irish druids, because sort of this it's part of the, the wave of of Catholics coming in and converting the Irish. And it's essentially really, really uh uh like what's the word? I wanna say ludicrous, but that's not not, not the right word. It's lurid. It's very lurid, like superhero comic booky pulp kind of stuff. He's a he's a saint, and all of his superpowers are like Jesus powers, and he all his, he does them all better. So it's like if Jesus rose again after three days, like Saint Columba would rise again after two days. You know, he he like he doesn't walk on water, bro runs on water. You know, it's like Jesus two electric boogaloo. It's really good. It's surprisingly readable. My my favorite miracle that he does is a peasant comes in and says, "Will you bless my knife?" And Saint Columba says. Saint Columba's busy writing in a in a book, you know, cuz writing is big for the monks back uh in the 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 600s, whenever this was. And Saint Columba's writing in a book and this peasant comes in and and says, "We bless my knife." And Saint Columba just kind of takes his quill and sort of waves it toward the knife without even looking up because, "Uh in the name of the father, I bless your knife." And then goes back to working on the book. And the peasant leaves and then that day they're having lunch and Columba goes, "Who was that who brought the the knife in? I was kind of distracted." And one of his assistants goes, oh, that was uh, so-and-so, the butcher. And Coloma goes, oh, the knife's going to be used for killing? No, uh, wait, God, I take it back. Uh, Lord, b- bless the knife, but don't let it, never let it harm flesh. And right at that moment, the guy is trying to stab the the ox that he's killing. And the knife just like sh- slides off and doesn't cut him. Uh and so the guy comes back to Columba, and Columba's like, Oh, I'm sorry, you know, I'm not allowed, I, I can't bless knives for that. And the peasant's like, Oh, and so Columba gives him a new knife. And then this is my favorite part they take the peasant's knife and they melt it down, and then they apply a thin coating of the metal from the magic blessed knife to every axe and hoe and rake and everything in the monastery because that metal won't be able to cut the flesh of a living thing. And so that's how they avoid. Accidents with all their axes for the rest of that time at that monastery. No one ever loses a toe while chopping wood. And it's like, shockingly uh, uh, practical to do that. I, you know, like, be like, whoops, oh, I did a oopsie miracle, but uh, we'll, we'll do this. <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty good stuff. Uh, okay, I, I totally lost my place on the list. Ah, Confessions of St. Patrick by St. Patrick. I have mixed feelings about this dude just because I love Ireland and the little hints we get of Irish culture pre St. Patrick have some beautiful things in it. Also like cards on the table. This dude is writing Augustine fan fiction. You know, he read confessions of St. Augustine and was like, I must write confessions, confessions of St. Patrick. And I should also be a saint or whatever. Uh, but it's, it's good. Uh, My favorite line in it is um, the men said unto me, you must suck our breasts. And I said, no, I will not suck your breasts. And because I did not suck their breasts, they would not take me into their company. I'll just leave that. (laughs) I'll just leave that for you to ponder. Next book. Best serve. I'm going to do these three because these are a trilogy of books. Best serve cold, the heroes and Red Country by Joe Abercrombie. Joe Abercrombie is a uh, epic fantasy writer who writes the books George R. R. Martin thinks he's writing. So you sort of have this late medieval, strike high Renaissance world where there's wizards and magic and and complex societies and the, there's a lot of military adventure and maneuvering and 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 weird dark Lovecrafty and horror creeping into the world. But the books are actually good. Uh, so if you read Game of Thrones and you're like, this is, why isn't this good? I, ch- I recommend Joe Abercrombie. Next book is The Wild Irish Girl by Sidney Owenson, Lady, Lady Lady Morgan. So Sidney Owenson, and then she married the Lord Morgan. Uh, she wrote this novel. And okay. You know how there's a there's a particular type of, of of story where there's a there's a young man, and he goes and he ends up hanging out with a wild tribe of outsiders, and then he learns their ways, and he's accepted into their tribe, and and he becomes he he becomes a man in their tribe, and the chief's daughter falls in love with him, and then. the 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 big epic climax comes where the young man has to prove that that he is better at being one of the tribes people than the tribes people you know like he like like you know dances with wolves you know it's like a white guy is the the, dances with samurai the last samurai with tom cruise it it takes a a white man from outside to be the best of the whatever non-white culture is this is the opposite of that um (laughs) <laughs> this book the wild irish girl is written by an irish woman for an english audience that's the british english uh and essentially it's about a british a young british man who goes to ireland to stay in some property that his family owns and he ends up falling in love with an irish girl and instead of learning to be their society, he learns to value their society. And Sidney Owenson wrote this book because she felt she wrote this in the eighteen fifties and she felt that Irish culture was being degraded and looked down upon by the English. And so she wrote a book where she had a fictional Englishman fall in love with Ireland. And it's a beautiful book. There's some very sassy bits. And there's a there's a bit where two young people are sitting on a fainting couch and the only thing between them is two feet of cushion and then they rest their hands on the cushion and the next book is Cowboy Fang's Space Bar and Grill by Stephen Brewst oh man this is this is Doctor Who meets Twin Peaks Twin Peaks meets that show on Netflix, Crazy Delicious, is just delightful. And it's all told through the eyes of an Irish musician. Obviously, candy for strangely. Uh, Next one is another trilogy, so I'll just do them all together. The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms, The Broken Kingdoms, and for some reason I didn't write the last word, Kingdom of the Gods by Nora Jemison. This is an epic fantasy trilogy written by a woman of color, and it is unlike any epic fantasy trilogy you've ever read just even the way she imagines cosmology and and uh, fantasy tropes and everything like that it's super cool uh i had a blast with it another one of my top fives the elements of style by strunk and white oh this this book it should not be as fun. Like it's a style manual for writing prose. You know, it's, it's recommending where to put commas and telling you the rules for how to use apostrophes and semicolons and the best way to write the date. But it's all delivered with this very like, uh, uh, sort of like very, very dry humor. I mean, E.B. White is the one who wrote Charlotte's web. So, you know, and, and Strunk was his English professor. So Strunk had a little book of rules and then E.B. White uh, helped uh, make prepare the second edition. And I actually read the third edition. Um, I can't remember. Strunk, White, and the third person. And she contributed all these hysterical sort of New Yorker cartoon-style illustrations. And it's just so dry. And I was constantly laughing. Uh, great fun. Great fun. The last... Uh, okay. Uh, again, I'll just give you all of these... Uh, 'Cause this is a whole series. The Last Wish, Sword of Destiny, The Blood of Elves, A Time of Contempt, Um I I I I'm not seeing the whole all of them. I read The Witcher series. It's all the Witcher books by Andre Sapkowski. And they're they're great. Uh They're, in some points, shockingly progressive for a fantasy series written in the 90s. Uh, And some points not. But one of the lead characters is named Dandelion, which is a name I'm quite partial to in humans. And they're a lot of fun. If you're looking for dark fantasy, uh, I had a good time with them. And there's a whole passel of them. So... There you go. Andrei Sapkowski. Uh, the Islandman by Thomas O'Croen. The Islandman is... oh, There's an island off the coast of Ireland called Outer Blasket. And it's like just a couple miles long. And this is a memoir written by a man who lived there from... He was born in 1860 and he lived until 1930-something or 1940-something. And if you just think about that span of time, right, the 1860s to the 1940s, what this guy witnessed in his lifetime, the people in Outer Blasket spoke a dialect of Irish that is almost mutually unintelligible to Irish Gaelic. And he wrote this memoir of growing up there. And it's such a small place that, like, if someone comes to the island and they, they bring a bottle of whiskey that's a story he remembers and oh it's the crack we'll just leave it at that this book is the crack give it a give it a read i know i sound like i'm recommending all of these but genuinely i loved almost every book i read this year uh we're not going to get through all of these in this episode so what i'm going to do is i'm going to take us up to uh number 60 which will be half of the books because this is already running long. We're going to make this a two-parter. Uh, so the next ones are a series of three. It is Griffin and Sabine, Sabine's Notebook, and the Golden Mean by Nick Bantock. Nick Bantock is an artist who lives up on Salt Spring Island, just up north of me, and he produces this beautiful sort of collage style of painting. And he wrote this these three novels that are a man and a woman Griffin and Sabine and they're sending each other postcards and they've never met but they've been having dreams about each other and the post and the, the book is like these beautiful postcards where you, one page is the illustration and then you turn the page and there's a postcard on the other side and it's sort of this supernatural romance mystery and and, and there's even like there's fully reproduced envelopes and you, you you like lift the tab and take the letter out and read their letters it's gorgeous. Oh, they're they're beautiful books. Uh, Probably the most impactful books on me were a pair of books that I read this year called Deep Work and Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. I actually read Deep Work twice this year. Cal Newport is a information he does work on sort of computer information technology or, or something like that. And then he also writes books on, on how to be a more productive uh, worker, how to get more things done. And one of the reasons that I come across as so astoundingly productive is not that I spend more time quote unquote working than anyone else. It's that I really cram all of my intense thinking into very small portions of my day. So on average in a normal day, I wake up between five and six and I work really, really hard until noon. And then genuinely I don't do anything after that. So, I mean, I wake up and I just, I, I kick ass for like five or six hours. And then I just like play video games or go for like a, you know, 15 mile run or, you know, read trashy fantasy fiction about dudes with white hair, banging like immortal witches or whatever. I can't believe I just used banging in a sentence, but like if you read the Witcher books, like that seems like the appropriate word. Um, it's consensual, super consensual, but like, you know, the kind of people who say want to smash, like these are the fantasy equivalents of those people. Geralt of Rivia is, uh, he's very much like, let's just say he earns those coins that they toss to him. Uh, Clearly, I'm doing this alone on my birthday. <laughs> uh, where am I on the list here? <clears throat> oh, so Cal Newport's book books are essentially saying th- they're saying that same thing, and I, I've only intensified that sort of compartmentalization of my time to get things done after reading these books, because the this the idea is if you can work without distraction for an hour, that's going to be more productive than working for three or four hours with all the distractions. So think email, Twitter your phone ringing, uh, getting up to go to the bathroom, any of that kind of stuff. And really genuinely, if, if you are a self-employed person, an artistic person, and you're, you're, you're sitting there going, there's just not enough time in my day. Check out these books. Like they, they're, they're, they're maybe a little bit on the self helpy end of the spectrum, but genuinely they helped me and check them out. Dreams Underfoot by Charles DeLint. Oh this is just so delightful. Charles Delint is a urban fantasy writer from sort of before urban fantasy was a, as big as it is now. And this is a book of short stories all about things happening in the the town of Newford and I want to live there. It's just great. How to change your mind by Michael Pollan. This book's all about psychedelics and but it's it's about psychedelics from a, a different perspective. Michael Pollan never did any psychedelics and until his like his 50s or his early 60s, I can't remember how old he is when he wrote the book, but he he tells the history of psychedelics and then his own experiences with deciding to try them. And I actually bought this book for my deeply conservative religious father and he also really enjoyed it. You know, I've never really wanted to, to to do LSD, but after reading this book, I do. Speaking of weird trippiness, Cerberus is back. Uh, Cerberus Volume 2, High Society, by Dave Sim. And, oh, like, it just gets so bananas. So I told you that this, this series, you know, it starts, what if Conan the Barbarian was a cartoon aardvark? But then it becomes like, what if the cartoon aardvark eventually walked out of the hyperborean lands and ended up in renaissance you know europe and then we did a marx brothers duck soup riff for 30 issues and then in the middle of that he gets really drunk and goes into a weird dream state and it gets all like doctor strange like multiverse that's essentially what happens in cerberus volume 2 it's a deeply (laughs) idiosyncratic weird piece of art And I had a good time. Speaking of weird cosmic nonsense, the next couple books on the list are Original Sin, Thor and Loki by Jason Aaron, Original Sin by Jason Aaron, and Thor, God of Thunder, Volume 4, The Last Days of Midgard by Jason Aaron. Uh, Two years ago, I started a project. I wanted to read Jason Aaron's entire, I think it was a 10 year run writing Thor. Jason Aaron is the writer who gave us Lady Thor, which some of you may be aware we're going to be getting a, a possibly getting a Lady Thor because Thor is going to retire in the Marvel movies and we're going to get a woman, Thor woman. Cause like the, the power of Thor, you know, the, the worthy, worthy to wield a hammer and everything in the comics, uh, Thor's, uh, you know, love interest, Jane Foster, the Natalie Portman character, she's dying of terminal cancer And somehow she ends up getting the hammer. I haven't. The end of God of Thunder Volume 4, she shows up holding the hammer and like badass Lady Thor. And everybody goes, what? And it's like continued in Lady Thor, Goddess of Thunder Volume 1. So I haven't read that yet, but I was just genuinely tickled. Also Thor God of Thunder volume 4 has old Thor cuz eventually it's, it's so Jason Aaron when he writes Thor he has young Thor who's back in the past with the Vikings modern Thor who's like hanging out with the Avengers and Tony Stark and all that and future Thor in the distant future who's become the all father and he has one eye with the eye patch and he has the the Thor force you know the Odin force so he's like he's basically Odin and all the other Asgardians are dead and it's Thor alone and Galactus shows up to eat Asgard. And Thor's like, no. And Thor and Galactus fight and uh, Thor actually punches some of Galactus's teeth out. And for those of you who don't care about Marvel and are completely like, what is strangely ranting about? uh, Galactus is a giant monster. Who's like the size of the empire state building. And Thor is like a little dude, the size of a normal human and they have a fight and it's awesome. And I love, I love comics. Uh, where was I? The Art of Mad Max Fury Road by Abby Bernstein with George Miller. This book has... Just... It's its about the creative process of making that film, which was deeply a labor of love for so many people. Oh. Uh, gorgeous, gorgeous book. Collapse by Jared Diamond. As a historian i have some intense problems with some of Jared Diamond's methodology but i think a lot of the points he makes are really interesting and as a society i think we need to take very seriously the impending potential that we might be looking at society-wide collapse if we don't deal with the changes in our climate sorry to be a bummer thankfully the next book is born a crime by Trevor Noah Trevor Noah was born during apartheid in South Africa and has gone on to be a successful comedian and he now hosts the Daily Show and his biography is the funniest book I have ever read about a deeply troubling subject. He writes about his childhood in apartheid South Africa with so much heart and humor and joy that it's just oh it's great. Content by Cory Doctorow Uh, Cory Doctorow put out a bunch of essays and they all say the same thing make every piece of information on the internet free don't put DRM on anything because people will just pirate it anyway and so just give books away there I saved you a read that is literally the thesis of the entire book and he says it a bunch of ways very persuasively but that's basically all he's saying Let's Pretend This Never Happened by Jenny Lawson a mostly true memoir. <laughs> uh, Jenny Lawson, who you may have heard of as the blog, the bloggist, uh wrote a memoir about her dad and how he was always bringing home wild animals for them to play with. That's a lot of fun. Little Brother by Cory Doctorow. Uh, if we didn't have DRM and we let all information on the Internet be free, the Department of Homeland Security wouldn't get us by Cory Doctorow. Packing for Mars by Mary Roach. Mary Roach writes these sort of uh, nonfiction books for lay people about tough scientific topics like uh, what happens to dead bodies after people pass away, how to get ready for space, and how seances work. Her stuff's great. Uh, I've actually spoken to some of the... uh, academics who've done like the academic reviews of her work and she's solid. So that's good. I think she's really funny and she's also really good at tracking down stuff. So uh, in this book, she talks about how she heard a rumor that there was a, there was a zero gravity porn that they'd made a porn in zero gravity somewhere and it existed. And so she goes on a quest to find a zero gravity porn, and I won't tell you what happens, but if that sounds interesting to you, check it out. It's one of the wildest nonfiction books I read this year, which brings us that was that was the first sixty, and we're already at well over an hour, and I'm losing my voice, so I think I'm gonna. I'm going to end this episode here and we're going to say it's it's a it's a it's a, like a to be continued sort of a cliffhanger kind of thing. So uh, I'm going to I'm going to do a little little accordion and play you out. And yeah, I, uh, I wasn't I wasn't expecting this to take so long, but, you know, I'm really happy that I spent part of my birthday with you folks. <laughs> Uh, Strangely and Friends, the podcast is produced by me, Strangely, here in beautiful Bellingham, Washington, and it's made possible by all of you, my, uh, amazing listeners, just even if you're listening to this, I consider you a supporter, but if you are supporting me on Patreon, an extra special thank you to the folks out there in Patreon world, because literally, this podcast helps me feed myself, and... I really appreciate that. So thank you so much for listening, folks. This is a two-parter and I'm going to record the next half of this, uh, this weekend and, uh, we'll finish it next time. So I'll see
1: you soon. Goodbye.